millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I quite enjoyed our UK chat last time. Mm. I quite, I, I don't know. I yeah, just, no. We good. hadn't really covered there before. Yeah, no. Thought we'd double down to do a second one. This week, I put a video up on the main channel about... Mm. UK austerity and effectively made an entire... That was the first time I've made an entire video about Britain. I do want to put a disclaimer out. Everything we're going to talk about might sound pretty sanctimonious. I actually am English. What does what sanctimonious mean? Morally condescending. Oh. Like you're on your moral high horse. Sure. Okay. And Same old England. Yeah. <laughs> Always cheating. <laughs> <laughs> Always whinging. I am actually English. I'm put that out there. Boo. I lived in St. Albans till yeah. I was about four or five. Yeah, there you go. I was in London for the Sydney Olympics and Sydney for the London Olympics. Oh, it's that's, tough. That's like my own fun yeah. fact. There's a bit of a distaste maybe for the English at the moment, what with the Ashes. And us not hosting the Commonwealth Games. Yeah. <laughs> I did see that headline. Controversial. Yeah, that the first step to a republic that. is it? <laughs> Dan Andrews is, is beginning the secession. Ma- maybe Mount Isa might throw their hat in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> See, I don't really want to have a Commonwealth Games that's run like a primary school athletics <laughs> <laughs> What place should put their hand up to be like, you know what, we'll take the games? What, like, maybe, I don't know, Port Rock. Macquarie? Yeah. Armadale. yeah, Port Macquarie would be good. <laughs> Yeah. Armadale, Rock, Rock, Rockhampton. Yeah. There's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I think Queensland's got a step. Oh, they had Gold Coast mm. pretty recently. Mm. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm looking forward to this chat about the UK. Yeah. I, uh, I watched the first episode of the UK office, a very special show for me. Watched it last night with my girlfriend. Was um, that your first time showing her? How did, yeah. how did she, yeah. how did she yeah. react? Wow. Uh, I think... Like she's willing to watch the next episode, so that's a good start. Yeah, that's that's a, a win because yeah. I love the UK office. Yeah, and I remember, we all love it. And Dis- I, we, we, yeah. Disclaimer: yeah, a little secret. Yeah, we, <laughs> when we we spent some time in London, and in that time, we watched a lot of the UK office, really just to prepare ourselves. I think for yeah, and then we rewatched it when another person joined us. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now the because the thing about the UK office, I yeah, the stuff like probably my favorite show of all time. Yes. I wasn't sold after the first episode. Mm. I remember watching the first episode being like, oh, I can I can see why. Yeah. It could be a little bit slow paced for me. And then the second episode, I was on the right path. And then the training episode, I'm like, this is the greatest episode. Yeah. <laughs> now, I reckon we should save this for Patreon because I really do want to talk about the UK office in a Patreon special. Yeah. Oh, sounds good I to think me. We'll one, season one, one for season two and then one for the Christmas special. I don't think yeah. we can... We can cover that. Yeah, and watch do it, the the cinema heads crossover. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yes. Yes. Ben's other podcast. And oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to begin the story of austerity. Actually, firstly, if I say the word austerity, do you know what I'm talking about? No. Mm, no. Austere. His- hysteria. Different, different, yeah, different to his, hysterity. <laughs> it's the hysterity period. Now, to be austere is to be strict firm, really kind of regulate yourself uh, well and be really tight. Yeah. Do you think, Hard do you Brexit's. class yourself as an austere teacher? 
Do you think you're strict to begin and firm? With. Mm. Okay. And then I, I kind of feel the class and then I, because I effectively write one of my, I won't name which one because, you know, they might be listening to this. Mm. One of my classes, I started really strict and they surprised me with kind of how well behaved they were. Mm. And then I loosened up and then they took advantage. So I went back to, mm. yeah. Kids, man. It's tight. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, on the whole, relative, like nowhere near the extent that other teachers would be. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Now, the UK has been living in a period of austerity since about 2010. That's kind of when the austerity era begins. And austerity measures are basically economic policies that tighten the government's pocketbook. So people get less money. It can mean that taxes are hiked up to kind of create more revenue and less expenditure. It can also mean that taxes are cut to have less revenue, less expenditure. Mm-hmm. And so the UK have basically been practicing austerity since 2010. Before we begin the story, though, we need some context. I'm going to go back to the end of World War II. Now, yeah, a bit of context. Yes. A long way back. Yes. And we're going to kind of actually kind of cycle through a couple mm-hmm. of decades here. Now, decolonization happens after World War II. Mm-hmm. And Britain is now no longer the world's dominant superpower. I mean, that was probably, it was the case before World War II, but World War II made it crystal clear that America and the Soviets run the show, not Britain. And so Britain starts losing their colonies in Africa and Asia. And so we can kind of rattle off all the different countries that gain their independence, like India, Pakistan, Uganda, Ghana, you kind of go into Africa. Who do you reckon are the big losers in decolonization? England. England, <laughs> oh, Scotland. Which group of pe- which group of people within England? Uh, the the like, colonizers. <laughs> they're, 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 they're dead for about a century and a half. But yeah, <laughs> yeah James Cook really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Arthur Phillips. He's turning in his grave. Really took a hit. Well, would it be like the elites, right? Like yeah. the the upper echelons. Why? I'd imagine they probably had a bit of a probably getting a bit of, re- bit of revenue from the old. Well, they, they weren't still slave, slave trading then, were they? Uh, not so. Yeah, yeah. The Britain had, had outlawed the African slave trade, but, but it, probably still de facto, within those countries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I mean, delegates. In- I mean, well, at the end of the day, it's like you deprive a country of sovereignty over their resources. Mm. So it's like, yeah, whatever. Like maybe like you, there some gu- like miners in Ghana were paid amazing, but they then kind of gave all the minerals to British companies who then sold it for profit and that profit didn't get fed back to the Guyanian people. Yeah. So you've got these kind of business magnates and in some cases the business magnates really kept their business holdings in those countries. Like in Uganda, British companies still did really well for a little while there until Idi Amin kind of came in. Now, you've got those kind of British tycoons that are kind of losing all their all their power and what happens is they start to kind of they need to basically rethink the game like the empire is over we're losing our influence we're losing our wealth what can we do to kind of keep some semblance of our kind of soft empire sure we don't have foreign territories but how can we kind of keep the wealth that comes with that the Commonwealth Games. The Commonwealth Games. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why Dan Andrews That's why he cancelled it. Oh, man. Oh. Really red-pilly. <laughs> <laughs> if I said the Cayman Islands, what comes to mind? Tax evasion. Tax evasion. If I mm. said Belize. <laughs> I think of... A girl in our grade in primary school. (laughs) (laughs) If I said Bermuda. Oh, the scary triangle where (laughs) people disappear. Yeah. Mm. If I said the British Virgin Islands. Pirates of the Caribbean. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you got it right for the the first time. I don't know why I drew out more examples that made you less likely to. Um, Yes. I can picture the flag of the British Virgin Islands, I think. What's its primary colour? Blue. Yeah. It's 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 like ours. It's it's the Australian flag. It's a modification. Some upgrades now. What with the with yeah, it's so basically tax evasion. So these British business tycoons, a lot of them kind of were involved in banking. And so what happened is a lot of the British bankers, they're like, okay, we are losing these territories in the Caribbean. What we should do is we should set up bank accounts in what the government will call offshore jurisdictions. So notice the the British Virgin Islands doesn't have a delegate at the UN. They're but not it- an independent country. Mm. Are they part of Britain? Well, no, they're not. Are they independent? No. And that's where it's that really murky territory of 
intention, and this is, this is 100% intentional, of defining a country in vague parameters, so offshore jurisdiction, what does that mean? So that basically these countries can do the bidding of the British. Is that in the, the Caribbean or the Pacific? Caribbean. Yeah. British Virgin Islands. Yeah. Yeah, Caribbean. Cool. So basically you've got all these weird mm. offshore territories. Like if we take one from the Pacific, like American Samoa, what the heck? What country is that? American Samoa. Mm. Are you independent? It's like, well, it's not It's not American territory. Like it's not a state. It's not one of the 50 states of America, mm. but it's not independent either. Yeah. And so, mm. I, like, Ronaldo Mulatalo played for America though in uh, the World Cup. Yes, and but again, <laughs> in that context, it's America. In other contexts, it's mm. independent. And basically, those countries will pick and choose when it is independent and when it is British or when it's American. Mm. So basically, the the British banking class they set up all these offshore juris- and they set up all these banks in these offshore jurisdictions. And the thing for the bankers is they basically in these offshore jurisdictions. They have things like very low tax rates. They also have things like very... Like, this is particularly strong in the Cayman Islands. They don't regulate trusts, if that makes sense. There's very little regulation around trusts. Mm. So, just so we're all on the same page, if I use this analogy in the video, let's just say I am passing on my Club Penguin account to... P- no, to Ben, because Ben's, yes, technically, come on. Ben's yep. technically younger than PY. Yep. Hmm. But Ben is not old enough to manage that Club Penguin account. <laughs> PY would be given authority over that Club Penguin account to kind of play kart surfer, to make pizzas. <laughs> to take care of his puffles. Take care of his puffles in order yeah. to kind of keep it in a good financial state for when Ben is old enough. And I will write that in the trust when Ben is old enough mm. to receive that that, that mm. Club Penguin account. Yeah. That's you- what a trust is. Now, in countries that have proper regulations, you basically have, like, in very clear writing, who's the who's basically the person leaving the trust behind, who's receiving it, who's managing it, for what time period. All of this is on a registry that can be easily accessed by the government if it needed to to invest investigate tax evasion. And in the Cayman Islands, there's no record. Mm-hmm. And so the secrecy in these offshore jurisdictions is a little bit different to, say, Swiss bank accounts. If you have a Swiss bank account, the Swiss bank account will not tell your government if you own it or not. That's kind of the secrecy that's going on in Switzerland. Mm. In the Cayman Islands, it's just we don't have records. I see. And so, like, an easy way to kind of get around tax, to kind of pay less tax, is park any assets that might generate tax in in those countries... Or, or kind of have bank accounts in those countries or kind of create a really random trust that is pretty vague for someone else that you actually use yourself in that country. Did you not have an incident with uh, a Club Penguin account and the Shade family at one stage? <laughs> Amazing. Yes. <laughs> I I had long forgotten this memory until <laughs> I brought it up. This was not scripted. I just want to put this on yeah. record. Mm. Do you know what I'm talking about, Ben? I don't think so. Oh, I wow. Feel like it involved my brother. Yeah, it was your brother. So yeah. the way that I first met Ben was through his older brother because myself and Ben's older brother were friends in primary school. Well, still are friends. Still but friends. Yeah, yeah. We're, were friends in primary school and that's how I came to meet him, uh, meet him, I should say. Now, essentially, we would call each other on the landline and rendezvous on Club Penguin. So mm-hmm. be like, no, 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 go to, the top, yeah. go to the top of the ski hill mm-hmm. and let's do that and we'd kind of yep. meet there. Yep. Now, my mum did not let me have membership. Yeah, mm, smart. To that, which I was really upset, <laughs> and I tried. You How know, much was membership? It's like twenty nine ninety nine a month, I think. That's right. That is, that a, is lot. a lot. In two thousand and six and two thousand and seven, that's yeah. yeah. So that's my insane. memory of the 0607 summer is literally <laughs> going between Club Penguin and watching it Australia win for the Ashes five nil. You get nothing in return for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Right. Do not. Is this if, a separate conversation? If you were not a member. You can't get certain puffles. You could only get the light blue puffle and the red puffle, if I'm not mistaken. Oh. And so I couldn't get puffles. Now, yeah. You're getting puffles in return for money. <laughs> so, yeah. And you kind okay. of get a couple of other perks. You can do like some of the like secret mission stuff. Yeah. Now, I was pretty upset at this. Now, Ethan had told me, I'm sure he'd be happy to be name dropped, I imagine. Uh, whatever. <laughs> but, um, I also said your last name, but anyway. True, true. We're going to add this in place. Now, Ethan had told me that his password was Bionicle. If anyone wants to kind of access <laughs> that, yeah. oh, no, the Club Penguin closed in 2017. Mm. I then used that account to buy Puffles. Oh. And, and, and to be fair, 
I didn't drain his money. I worked for the money. I grinded on cart so far mm. to generate the revenue to buy okay. those extra puffles. And you could kind of, you could deck out your igloo with membership in a way that you couldn't if yep. you didn't have membership. Yep. Yeah. And, and this is your account. This is no. Ethan's account. So, so you're, I've, you're what, doing this on, on Ethan's, Ethan's account. account. Okay. Now I've worked hard on Cart Surfer to generate the revenue to buy those puffles yeah. off my own labor. I didn't yeah. steal. And I've called the green puffle Qui-Gon Jin. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I yes. Called, I called the purple oh, puffle Max Windu. And I've just decked out Ethan's igloo with mm. all of these Star Wars themed puffles. And then I get a landline call from Ethan. Hey, mate. Just, um, you wouldn't happen to have been using my Club Penguin account to buy puffles. You monster. And I, I confessed and sure enough, Ethan politely asked me, yeah, please don't do that. Mm. Yeah. But, um, so first you're explaining to our listeners how to do tax evasion and now you've, <laughs> you've told them about this. Uh, it's real quite a criminal history you've got here, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's theft, really. Yeah, I've stolen the perks of his $30 membership. Now, basically, that's kind of one way that the Cayman Islands generates all its revenue. And Club really, Penguin. That's, 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 <laughs> that's the trust. Thirty dollars membership, mate. It's lucrative. And so, effectively, so like British banks, like HSBC, would open up a Cayman Islands branch, open up a British Virgin Islands branch, and what would happen is basically the whole world would park their money in these bank accounts. And money it was huge money laundering kind of thing as well. So again, if you had dirty money, park your assets in offshore bank accounts where there's no registry of trusts or anything like that. And it became a huge money laundering center as well. So the British offshore territories basically, to kind of pardon the pun, but made bank as they brought in revenue from pretty much the whole world. Mm. Uh, it's estimated that currently $1 trillion from developing nations goes to offshore bank accounts. So that's $1 trillion that's kind of not getting taxed by Kenya, $1 trillion that's not getting taxed by Uganda, $1 trillion that's not getting taxed by Rwanda that are ending up in the Cayman Islands that are ending up in the British Virgin Islands. Mm. And so it's really, it's terrible. Like, Because that money is then going to the British, right? As opposed exactly. to those governments. So the, yeah. so, HS, so <laughs> basically this kind of props up a huge banking sector in Britain. So you've got like HSBC, for a little while you had Northern Rock who were quite strong, but we'll come back to them as well. And the British banking sector actually becomes really strong because the UK branch can receive money from the British Virgin Islands branch. Yeah. And so the easy solution, uh, how do you stop tax evasion effectively? Like if, if you're just an ordinary Joe Blow and you want to stop all this tax evasion, what's your call to action? Well, can you just outlaw it? Is that the thinking? Or is it... But here's, and here's, here's where the like kind of legal jargon becomes really kind of pick and choose. Britain takes the money, so the British banks take the money and transfer the money between the offshore bank accounts and the British bank accounts. But the British government says, well, no, they're an independent territory. We can't tell them what to do with their taxes. Mm. It's like, but it's got the name British in the, like... Yeah. <laughs> you, your, your flag is the Commonwealth... <laughs> oh, good. Thanks, Bear. <laughs> People are just offering me some eucalyptus. Is that eucalyptus? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Canteen, that's, that'd be a good one for the Patreon. True, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. But exactly, right? They kind of pick and choose when they're independent and when they're not independent. Mm. And so in the 60s, the British banking industry starts to become really strong. As the empire crumbles, the banking industry just adapts and still retains a lot of soft power across the world. Fast forward to the first female British Prime Minister. Margaret. Yep, Margaret Thatcher. Thatcher. Mm. The Iron Lady. Girl boss. <laughs> now, Thatcher basically comes in and she starts something called the Big Bang, which allows all for, like foreign... <laughs> That's why they call the show after. That's why they call the show after. So foreign banks come into Britain and that kind of creates the bank... Like that makes the banking sector more competitive. The issue is like having a huge banking sector isn't an issue. Like... Put morality aside of kind of screwing over other countries, from a purely self-centered point of view, having a strong banking sector is not a problem because it's really good for your economy because if people need money to start businesses, they can just go get it from a really powerful banking sector, mm. which then stimulates your economy. The issue is, is that the banking sector's wealth became wrapped up in real estate, not in business, mm. not in business ventures. If like you McDonald's. Say? Like McDonald's. Yes. So no less McDonald bank is not giving McDonald's loans to start new McDonald's, which is then hiring fourteen year olds and stimulating the economy. Mm. It's 
giving it to someone to buy a house for $600,000 as opposed to $500,000 because now people can get mortgages and they're really competitive to kind of live in the one area. Mm. Case in point, Thatcher kind of introduced two bits of housing laws that were really important. One was in 1980, which effectively encouraged people who lived in social housing to get a mortgage and buy their house off of the government. So that kind of creates a huge mortgage boom as all these people who never thought they could own a home are encouraged by the government to kind of buy their home at a discounted rate. Mm. Seems like a pretty good policy at the first. There's a lot of merit to it. The issue is, is kind of the flow on effects it creates in the banking sector. Because now a lot of people are coming to the bank for mortgages mm. and a lot of houses are going on sale, which is creating a lot of competition. The second bit, and this is probably the more important one, was in 1988, Thatcher passed another law which effectively kind of moved the rights much further away from the tenant and towards the landlord. And after six months, the landlord could kind of kick you out if you were deemed to be not a good enough tenant. If you're a landlord, that makes that makes real estate more profitable and more enticing. Like if mm. you want to kind of put your wealth somewhere, well, now that you've got all these extra rights as a landlord, that's going to incentivize you to buy extra properties and kind of generate revenue and income from people paying rent to you. Issue is, if you've got some guy buying 14 houses in London because that's the safest way to kind of manage his wealth, that's terrible for the housing market Mm. because that kind of, again, removes the supply and one guy kind of has a much stronger control on the supply, which causes housing prices to go up. This is great for the banking sector. The banking sector love the housing bubble because they're making heaps of money off of mortgages. Mm -hmm. So you can see the, the pattern so far. The way they're kind of really astonishing statistic, since Thatcher came to power, this was taken in 2016, if I'm not mistaken, wages had risen by 4.6%. Housing prices in London... Oh, no, housing prices... 4.6% across- over, like, what, 30, 40 exactly. years? Exactly. The growth rate was terrible. Jeez. So, 4.6% on average, and I believe I believe this is all of England. I don't think it's just London, or all of the UK even. I don't think it's just London. Housing prices had risen by 1,200%. Mm. Yeah. So this basically, again, like it kind of exposed, well, the banking sector wasn't exposed yet, but just one issue and the banking sector could come crumbling down because their wealth isn't in kind of moving the economy forward. It's in something that sits still. And actually it generates perceived value, but it doesn't generate actual value. Mm. That makes sense. And so basically all of this wealth gets tied up into real estate I included there's the kind of in the video that I made I included three pie graphs one was the UK one was Germany one was France in the UK effectively commercial the commercial banks which were the ones that, that primarily dealt with real estate had a way higher kind of share of the banking industry as opposed to things like credit unions and kind of government run banks which were more prominent much more prominent you can see the video for the exact number I'm coming with the exact number off the top of my head in France and Germany and so the UK mm. banking sector isn't just huge, but it's dominated by banks that put their money into real estate, which then kind of leaves them really vulnerable should an economic issue happen and people were unable to repay their mortgages. The other issue that this created as well, so all this capital coming in to London was creating a really strong pound. Like when I was a kid, so my grand's <laughs> Christmas and birthday presents to me mm. were UK government bonds. Wow. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> they, they, at that point, the pound was worth two and a half times the Aussie dollar. Savings mm. bonds. That is some good Christmas. Like, my mom was like, man, when you're 18, you can buy a lot of lightsabers with that. Like, that's how she oh. kind of like... Yeah, so think of the Club Penguin memberships. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, how did it end up? How did the, the UK government bonds? Yeah. I think I got about 132 pounds. It's sitting somewhere okay. if I can find it yep. in UK. Yeah. Yep. So ne- that's been significantly that's devalued. What, um, Dave got Alvin and the Chipmunks for Christmas. True. That's what pushed them towards Ian Hawke. Yeah. I think. That- so a real life imitating art. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the issue is if you've got a really high pound, what does that do to your exports? If, you're, if the value of the currency is really high. Well, like did this in business studies. <laughs> when you when then foreign countries try to buy your exports, right, they just can't afford to pay as much. Yeah. And so exporting isn't as profitable because exactly. it's just weaker currency. So this kind of, this spirals and it kind of accelerates the downfall of the UK manufacturing industry. 
London were once the world leaders in manufacturing. Mm. Nowadays, nowhere near that. If you look at the current economy right now, so they have pretty much an identical population to France, but have 300,000 less people working in manufacturing. And the amount of people working in manufacturing in London, or sorry, in Britain, I should say, is pretty much half of Germany. Now, granted, Germany has an extra, what, like 15 million people living in the country, okay. but it's half of what Germany has. But what the UK does have is double the accountants that France has. Mm. So you can see how kind of their economy mm-hmm. is really geared towards banking yeah. and not producing anything. And the issue is those banks aren't giving the money to businesses that are creating revolutionary technology that can be really profitable. It's going straight into a housing market. And that housing market is being kept alive by kind of two things. One, the kind of bank's ability to give mortgages to people. But two, migration. Migration kind of keeps the housing bubble going. Because if you just keep filtering people into London, then there's more competition Mm. for housing prices and and that you kind of keep the bubble going that way. Mm. Visas. And for a long time, (laughs) London has been a really popular place to go and migrate to. Oh, yeah. Mm. Think about... Most people in their 20s. Yeah. <laughs> Your sister even was tossing it up. <laughs> Your sister was even. <laughs> Both of our sisters <laughs> lived in London. Yeah. No, my sister's, yeah. And seriously, my, the only reason, so my sister's coming home, the only reason she's coming home oh, okay. is just because it's way more affordable to live in Australia than it is oh, yeah, in London. Oh, yeah, no doubt. No which doubt. is crazy because it's not that affordable to live in Australia right now. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, so, London's a different beast, so. Yeah, exactly. And we're kind of looking at the factors, why we're kind of starting to see... Mm. Why? Does she know about the Tesco meal deals? Is she, <laughs> is she? Well, speaking of, migration is also great for Tesco. Tesco okay. have... The thing about this, right? Workers. Like, sorry? For workers? Not for workers. Okay. Um, though you would get a stream of workers coming through, mm. uh, a lot of migration coming in is actually skilled labour, so it wouldn't actually end up in Tesco. I the, see. The, the great thing for Tesco is, let's just say, your meal deal, when we were in London, how much was our meal deal? It was three pounds at uh, Tesco. And you get a sandwich, a drink, and a sweet. Yes. Or a packet of chips. Or a packet of chips. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the reward-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Now, if you have more people, so if you live in a more concentrated area where there's more people, you can actually not... You don't have to produce anything more. Tesco can produce the same amount of sandwiches, the same amount of chips, same amount of drinks. If They they can keep those numbers the same, but if there's more people living in the area, they can put their prices up because there's greater competition for Mm. those resources. And it's generally stuff that everyone needs. Like supermarkets benefit massively from migration because no one's going to go without a trip to the supermarket. And more Mm. people in one area means they can put their prices up and get higher profits without doing anything. Yeah. It kind of creates ghettos and it really destroys the housing market. Definitely. But it's great for them. Mm. So struggle to get a sandwich for that price by itself here. Yeah, exactly. That is ridiculous. It was it, yeah. Yeah. It was quite a <laughs> quite the daily ritual. Mm. And I, I I don't think a day goes by where I don't think about how good those meal deals were. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely. Four pounds at Waha Smith. Yeah, that Maybe. was a bit of a <laughs> <laughs> Alas. So, what would be the huge catalyst that would expose the UK economy? Is it stopping migration? Is it Brexit? No, uh, neither. <laughs> Something before Brexit. Migration's kind of happening throughout. David Cameron's pig gate. <laughs> <laughs> Chronologically, after David Cameron's pig gate, but, before David Cameron was exposed to a pig gate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
what would expose England? Uh, COVID-19. Before COVID-19. Gareth Southgate's penalty miss. <laughs> <laughs> it was the JFC. <laughs> Oh, that, I thought we will pass that. Oh. <laughs> Before um, Brexit is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, true. That is related heavily to housing <laughs> and, and <laughs> banks. Yes. Yeah. So just so we're all on the same page, the, the subprime mortgage crisis began when PY went to the bank to get a mortgage. But what would happen is the bank that gave PY the mortgage would sell PY's mortgage to someone else. Mm. And then that bank would sell PY's mortgage to someone else. Effectively, yeah. you trade people and people's mortgages. I've and seen the big short. Yeah. <laughs> I have not. My you colleague is on my case about watching it. Oh. I, I think I watched it when we were overseas, actually, on one of our train rides. Oh, really? It was, um, yeah, it's really good. So, yeah, basically. <laughs> anyway, does that, but, sorry, explain does that, it. Does that match up with the Big Short's description of the GFC? Yeah, so, I think I'd say so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Trading, explain it yeah. to our viewers, our listeners yeah. as well. So tra- yeah. I, heard, I heard the accounting team in the office discussing this the other day as well. So if you trade mortgages, <laughs> that means that more mortgages are going to be given out because... The bank who gives the mortgage doesn't have to deal with the fallout of a bad mortgage. So yeah. PY has like just doesn't have anywhere near enough for a deposit. There were stories of people with severe intellectual disabilities who were given mortgages and they didn't really know what they were signing up for. Mm. And then what that bank would do is they would trade that person's mortgage on the on the market. What happened? People are completely unable to repay the mortgages because they were signed up for ridiculous loans, and then that kind of creates a huge flow-on effect across the the U.S. economy. Now, because the British banking industry was involved in the trading of mortgages, yep. they kind of heavily contributed to that as well, and they were heavily affected by the GFC. The GFC has kind of got two effects. So there's real economic effects, but then there's perceived economic effects. And this is why I will never, I can't ever see myself being a supporter of like libertarianism or anything like that, where basically the underlying premise is that everyone acts rationally. That's not who people are. People mm. do not act, myself included. We are all irrational beings. Irrational. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so basically, if you think your bank is going bust, what do you do? You pull your money out. Yeah. Which causes the bank to do what? To go bust. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, but that's the very thing that causes the banks to go bust, right? It's actually the psychological mm. effect. If no one yeah. pulls their money out of the bank, everyone's fine. Mm. It's like the same thing when someone you're in a crowd... And someone stands up when you're like watching football or whatever, and someone stands up when they really didn't need to stand. Like it wasn't a high adrenaline yeah. play. Everyone yeah. has to stand up around them to kind of get a view. Yeah. Northern Rock. So we're coming on cold to- Cold Rock? Not Cold Rock. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, it probably would be cold though. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, pretty north. Yeah, exactly. So, oh, Newcastle sponsor. Yes, Newcastle yeah. sponsor. But they are no longer Newcastle sponsor. Mm. Oh, no. They suffered a bank run. Yeah. So all the Geordies, so it was like Northern Rock was, was basically like the big bank in Northern Newcastle. Bank. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of what St. George is in St. George. Very I'm sure good. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could say that. <laughs> I'm I mean, St. George. Yeah. Great, great, great <laughs> yeah. bit of marketing from them to get the Dragons as, mm. as, as their sponsor for a long while there. Yeah. But Northern Rock goes bust because people have done bank runs. Okay. And... This is where the like the UK economy was a little bit left behind here. During so this is what bank runs contributed to the Great Depression back in the 30s. Roosevelt. Sorry, what's a bank run? When people pull their money out of the right. bank. Yep. Roosevelt, when he was president, basically put in depositors' insurance. So we will pay anyone who suffers from a bank closure. We will pay you personally up to two thousand five hundred dollars, which was more than most people's savings back in the 30s. Yep. And the whole thing is like, it's a, it's a game of bluff, right? Because the government doesn't actually plan on paying that money out because psychologically people won't withdraw their money if they're like, oh, government's got me covered anyway. Yeah. So yep. it's kind of, it's like a, a game of economic chicken, mm. effectively. They go bust. Now, the Prime Minister during the GFC, Tony Blair has just stepped down. Okay. Passed it to Gordon Brown. Gordon Brown comes in and then there's the GFC. Mm. Or a poison GB. chalice. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a long tradition of like Boris steps up right before huge crisis. Mm. It yeah, and not to know, not not couldn't have seen it coming. And so basically, Gordon Brown is faced with the decision of what do you do? Because on the one hand, he can let Northern Rock suffer the consequences of their own actions. So mm-hmm. basically, it's like no. Nah, you were negligent in kind of trading people's mortgages. You don't deserve any money. You've made this, you've kind of contributed to this disaster yourself. 
you were getting absolutely no money from the government to kind of support your case here. That's one option. Second option is is a bank bailout. And a bailout can happen a number of different ways. Number one, you can bail out the depositors. So kind of basically do deposit insurance. So not CEO, exec, your bank still is done. Like you're no longer a functional bank anymore. Everyone who had savings in your bank account will get their money. The yep. shareholders, the CEO, the execs, you guys get nothing. You're closed, you're done. That's another option. A third option is to try and rehabilitate the bank and kind of you can kind of give the bank money, which is again taxpayers paying for the errors of the bank. Like you can kind of see how that mm. wouldn't be a popular policy. Yeah. You can buy equity in the bank. So we are buying out at an inflated price, we are buying out ownership of the bank and, and the government will now run the bank. And that was the option that Gordon Brown went for. So he bought Northern Rock. If I'm not mistaken, it was a $162 billion purchase. Which is, that's like, that is... That's a fair bit. Yeah. yeah, That's like, what, four, five times the amount of like deficit that Australia left at the kind of worst of the GFC. Mm. Like that's, Mm. (laughs) that is huge. And so the, the, that's kind of the option that Gordon Brown goes for. Obviously not very popular. Yeah. Because it's taxpayers paying for the errors, but it does allow people to kind of keep, access their money which does keep the economy afloat that's kind of the theory behind it okay yeah now gordon brown goes for that he faces off against david cameron in the 2010 election Hmm. he loses david cameron runs in coalition with the liberal democrats in the uk yeah the tories are back Hmm. first time since john major long time when yeah. was John Major 90s mm. so Tony Blair took over Blair from John Major was, yeah. and Tony Blair was like England's version like the Labour version of Howard, Howard. in terms of longevity yeah. in office Tories are back in there's a new Chancellor of the Exchequer of the what? the Exchequer Chancellor of the Exchequer basically their treasurer how much more of a boss name is that, that is, for treasurer that does feel like <laughs> yeah like Chancellor Palpatine level like he, <laughs> if you said he was Chancellor of the I'd believe it yeah like, <laughs> His name is George Osborne. A cool name as yeah. well. Could <laughs> <laughs> you imagine the, the LinkedIn profile would have been so fire? <laughs> now, he comes in and he says, it is time for austerity. Mm. This is where <sighs> the austerity okay. circle begins. We are slashing government expenditure. So, first on the chopping block was government spending. It gets cut by 25%. Uh, yeah. Now... On the surface, that sounds pretty wise, right? Like mm-hmm. you're like mm-hmm. that. Like I should have I should have added the bank bailout that Brown provided left the Brits in like a 150 billion dollar deficit or something in that kind of ballpark. Mm. So, so most of the sale by the sounds of things. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like <laughs> when you kind of look at expenditure versus revenue, they're 150 billion in the red. Yep. That's yeah, not good, not good. Mm. I didn't take economics, but I, that does sound bad. But here's the thing: I will also argue this. You got to think long term. Sometimes you have to put yourself into debt for mm, future benefit. Yeah, absolutely. And so, in that economic hardship, delivering a deficit was one hundred percent what was needed mm. to make sure that people didn't lose their jobs. Yep. Like you but need- it's led to an austerity. And so now the the Tories come in and like, cool, we're going austerity now. We're going to bring the budget back into surplus <laughs> and basically kind of cut expenditure left, right, and center in order to in order to do that. So it starts off, Osborne ordered every single minister in the Tory party to slash their department spending by 25%. So he's like, and that's so that's, that's losing jobs. That's Off, kind of, yeah. yeah, less money that's going into all sorts of public spending programs. Like if you're minister for health for health, and yeah. you, you're ordered to do a 25% cut, mm. who's losing? The nurses. The, nurses, the NHS. Yeah. yeah, the NHS just gets slashed. And so you've kind of got the beginning of of it of that kind of level of cut there. Now here's the issue, right? In theory, austerity, like it, George Osborne was like, time's going to be tough. We've got to kind of weather it for a couple of years, and then that will help us kind of move forward in the long term. In theory, the same amount of GDP should be spent in the public sector. Like the net number is lower, but the same, sorry, the same percentage of GDP should be spent in the public sector. If the theory is we're generating less revenue, Mm. so we're going to spend less, 
then you should have the same percentage. The percentage shouldn't change. Mm-hmm. So the percentage mm-hmm. of GDP that you spend on your NHS and on, on basically kind of the public sector yep. should remain the same. Yep. That drops by nearly 10% during the Osborne years. So it's not so it's not just the fact that Britain's not spending anymore. It's that they're spending much less disproportionately to the amount of revenue they have coming in. On the public sector. On the public sector. Yeah. Why have they done that then? Well, the, I think the other issue, and we'll come on to we'll come on to the cynical reason as to why that's the case in a second. Yeah. Because the other issue is it does make a lot of sense to spend less when you're in in the red. Like if mm. you've got a 150 billion dollar mortgage, yeah, you need to s- you're not buying avocado yeah, exactly. toast. Like- <laughs> Here's the issue though: you are only focused on one bank account in that situation. When you are the treasurer, you're not focused on your bank account. You are focused on 68 billion, 68 million, 68 billion, 68 million <laughs> bank accounts. Mm. And if you cut spending to the NHS, that means a hospital wardsman now can't go buy Maccas, mm. which means your 14 year old gets let go from Maccas. Yeah. And then you kind of see that that's going to end effect. up generating and then fewer Club Penguin memberships. <laughs> your revenue is going to go down massively. If you yeah yep. if, if you cut taxes your revenue is going to go down massively. You could mm-hmm. argue that it frees them up to spend more and that stimulates the economy. Um, that's another <laughs> argument to be had for a separate day. But certainly in the, in the immediate short term, you lose revenue by lowering taxes. Mm-hmm. And so you've kind of got those two issues there. And so we actually see kind of the standard of living really start to decline in the UK really badly in the 2010s. Mm-hmm. And Osborne's argument is that it's a short-term fix Again, we've got to go through these tough times. I don't think that's true. And the reason why is austerity should mean low ta- sorry, high taxes, low spending. That's kind of the true definition of austerity. Bring the budget back into balance. Taxes start to go down. The corporate tax rates gets, uh, gets absolutely slashed during the Tories' time in office. It drops, what, maybe like, I think, I, can't, I, I have the exact numbers in, in the video, but it drops from something, if I'm not mistaken, around about, what, 26% to 18% over a number of years. Yep. Pretty pretty huge tax. Like mm. that's, yeah, so yeah. it's about it's estimated that that's $7 billion lost in revenue each year by kind of lowering the corporate tax rate. Yep. And so you're like, hold up. This whole exercise seems to really kind of favor the elites here because they're getting the corporate tax cuts. Yeah. National Health Service has been slashed. So if you're just like a battler from Blackpool or whatever, <laughs> mm. that's going to affect you much more negatively than it's going to affect someone who can afford private healthcare. And they're the ones that are doing okay because they're getting the huge corporate tax cuts. And so they're able to kind of actually boost profits. The other issue is migration goes up massively. Like everyone, you would think migration would go down because of mm. Brexit and Brexit's all about stopping the boats or... Yeah, the, their equivalent of stopping the, the Euro boats. stars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Migration just goes up from non-EU countries. Yeah, they don't, even, they don't want the Europeans anyway. They yeah. want people f- with skills from the subcontinent. Mm. And so, and again, so why is everyone coming to the UK? Like, why are they migrating? They're well, just- would you rather live in like I know we're talking about a, a poor standard of living? Would you rather live in Pakistan? Mm. Or- no, sorry, I th- meant. Didn't you say they were coming from Europe or... No, they're not coming no, from non- Europe. Oh, they're coming okay, from, yeah, they're yeah. Non, non-EU countries. Yeah, gotcha. And so you've got... And again, like, is this just 4D chess from Nigel Farage? Make Britain so bad that the migrants won't want to come. Mm. Then we'll get a true Brexit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, migration actually goes up massively during the Tories' time in office, despite repeated promises to cap migration and to stop migration. And again, migration, it doesn't... Like, it's not as though the migrants end up going to, I don't know, Hartlepool or something. They go to major cities, of course, as you would if you're a migrant. Like, I'm a migrant. Where did we end up? We ended up in Sydney. Mm -hmm. Like, that's where migrants end up. They go to major cities, particularly if they're filling a skill shortage. where opportunities are. Exactly. Mm -hmm. They don't go to Hartlepool. There's, like, a small refugee community from Uganda in Leicester. I can't think of too many other kind of cultural hotspots. Yeah. outside of London or Brighton in England. And so migration's gone up massively. So again, it keeps these these power, these power large corporations afloat. Does nothing for the Hartlepool Bakery. Like they're, they're up the creek. But mm-hmm. if you're Tesco in 
I don't know, Chelsea or whatever, yep. you're fine. And so we actually start to see, we see homelessness double during the time the Tories are in office. Wow. Oh, yeah. And like, yeah, the homelessness issue is now really bad in the UK. Again, the kind of, we could tease out all of the different health implications that have come with the NHS being slashed, but the standard of healthcare is going down mm-hmm. rather than going up. And it basically, like thesis of, of this pod is the UK is in a bit of a pickle. Mm. It's estimated that Poland's <clears throat> economy will overtake them by 2030. Okay. Wow. That's, like this is yeah. like 80 years ago, the most powerful empire in the world. Mm. Falling to Poland. Mm. Yeah. With all due respect to Poland. That's, <laughs> now, that's a lot. And Poland's economy <laughs> is has been growing rapidly since the 90s and the, UK, the US has helped prop them up. Where it gets even more damning though is Hungary by 2040 will overtake them. Wow. And again, like, yeah, Austro-Hungarian Empire, you can maybe have some claim there. 24, the other one by 2040, Romania. No way. Andrew Tate had it right all along. (laughs) He invested early. Yeah. (laughs) Uh. And so we're in a case right now Mm -hmm. where, again, the UK standard of living has dropped. The one outlier to the austerity years has been Boris in 2020 for obvious reasons. Mm Mm-hmm. And so Sunak is still largely pushing ahead with austerity. This has been 10 years now. And again, it wasn't supposed to be a decade of austerity and it's just been pushed and pushed and pushed. Mm. It benefits some people really well. Austerity has been great for your huge corporations, but it's been terrible for 95% of the UK. Mm. And still they'll probably end up voting Tory because Labor's too woke for them. That's like, that's kind of the, which I, I get it. Like Lily, like I said this in the video. I did remember when Lily Allen was like crying at some Jeremy Corbyn rally. I haven't no, seen I that don't. video, no. That makes you want to not vote for Labour. Like, <laughs> that, I'm like, man, I'm, I just want to vote for whoever she's. <laughs> do, do you not find that when celebrities post the like virtue signaling? Mm. Like, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. some like social housing act or something that Jeremy Corbyn was, mm. re- was kind of, and again, I like yeah. Jeremy Corbyn. I, yeah. I like his policies a lot. Yeah. And it does, yeah. It's like the same yeah. thing for like, I'm with her when it came to Hillary. And obviously, uh. <laughs> I think I'd much prefer Corbyn to say someone like Hillary, but like, it makes you want to vote Trump when you kind right. of see like Katy yeah, Perry yeah. coming out at her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For some. Yeah, it might, might, might depend on the celebrity. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> Lily Allen didn't galvanise you, but maybe her supporters were. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, we're in, in the UK is in a bit of a pickle. Mm. We discussed Partygate on the Boris pod, so yeah, like that's like that's just kind of scandal. Like that's like like that's more the gossip girl category of, yeah. of politics. <laughs> but if you look at the structure, the structural issues are way more worrying. Mm. Like for all Boris's shortcomings, and yeah, he seems like a like yeah, like he the Partygate thing is really damning. Yeah. He spent he put more funding than David Cameron did, and he kind of was willing to spend more than David Cameron was and it was the Cameron and Osborne years yeah. that really started to chip away at the mm. UK so much so where they're at the point right now where like every yeah. time and again we went to pretty we, we had a pretty whitewashed um, tour of the UK like what we mm. did yeah yeah we did London like with the nice part like Gothworth like a nice part of the northeast yeah yeah I guess maybe Liverpool was the closest we had to really getting a view into like the slums of England like but we yeah yeah and that even then, like we were near Anfield, like it was pretty, mm, yeah. pretty, pretty nice part of Liverpool where we were. But you know, like if we kind of did it up, like I, the one that I reckon the time that I felt it was in Cardiff. Now Cardiff's supposed to be quite a nice city, yeah. And there were parts that were nice, but there were other parts where you're like, yeah. man, this is a cap. This is like I'm not rushing to get back. Yeah, this is a capital city, <laughs> yeah, um, mm. of Wales at least, yeah. And so, yeah, the, the future of the UK, particularly even, in any regional centre that isn't London, is really bleak. Yeah, even like Edinburgh for me is like a lot of homelessness there. And that's, again, way the, nicer than Glasgow. On the Royal Mile. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, on the, yeah, the Royal Mile, like the picturesque part of Edinburgh. Yeah, and it's just homeless, like kind of along it. Yeah. <laughs> mm. And yeah, you pretty much hear anyone. Mm. So like, obviously, because my parents or my dad is English and they went back to the UK last year to see friends. So they went yep. away from London and went to like all the different little towns. Yeah. And they yeah, they said it was horrendous. And you hear stories of people in the UK not watching TV in summer so that they can afford heating in winter. Wow. Yeah, geez. Like, 
Do you think this is why Bazball has galvanized the nation? <laughs> How much is it Look, papering I'm not, over I'm the cracks? No, there's, I think there's a small kernel of truth in that of like, yeah. when things become so bleak, people turn towards distractions mm, and kind of swash, thing. this swashbuckling cricket style. Yeah. <laughs> and like for, for like, I don't know, let's just take the, the UK football team taking the knee or something like that, something like that where the, like, it, I think uh, I'm going to taking the knee is kind of the perfect snapshot of why labor could be in trouble because um, it's just when they took the knee, it's people from the North who viewed it as elites, the, the the footballers from London and Manchester, sanctimoniously lecturing them on what to do. That's how it was interpreted. And when Martin Tyler says stuff like, why are people booing? Like, why would you boo people taking a stand against racism? We're not going to discuss taking the knee right now or anything, Just, but just it's a good snapshot of kind of the cultural climate in Britain. Even though they knew that Boris is just has just kind of lied through his teeth to Parliament... The fact that he claims to oppose the elite is enough to get their vote. And they view Labour as the elite, which is crazy because in their name, Labour comes from trade unions. That's yeah. where the money <laughs> for the Labour Party comes from. And so it's like, look, I'd, I'd still back Keir Starmer to beat Rishi Sunak in 2025. Jeez, that's a while away when the next election is. And Sunak's going to push it back to have as much distance from party gate as possible. Yeah. But realistically, that that could this could there, there, there may only be one more election before 2030. And mm. if things go as they are, Poland will overtake Britain by 2030. And look, I don't think like having a Labour government will fix everything, but it will fix it'll slow it'll slow kind of the divvying up of um, the British people that the Tories have done in the last 10 years. And it's pretty bleak for the UK right now. Jeopardy. Mm. Yeah, I'm not really sure how to end it, um, but I guess it's the truth. He's gonna try one call to action. One call to action. One call to action. <laughs> I said this in the video. If you if you're a UK listener listening in, remember I am English, so oh. I am allowed to tell you what to do based <laughs> where I was from zero to four. Because I watched Teletubbies in England, let me tell you what to do. Join your trade. Join your union. Um, mm. Reason why you don't need to go on strike. Like I'm in, I'm in my union and my workplace is great. I don't have any issues with my workplace at all. You're not in your union to primarily oppose your workplace. We need to have a union. We need to have people in their unions so that one of the political parties can be held accountable to ordinary people. A lot of the, a lot of union money goes to labor parties across the world. And the reason why is so that party can answer to their union. And so if if the unions get crippled and union membership has been going down in the UK since the seventies, if union membership gets, gets crippled because people are like, Oh, I don't mind where I work. And I think union people are pretty annoying and you know, I just want to get on with my job. Um, if we kind of have that attitude, what will happen is that the unions won't be funding the labor party, which means someone else will come and pull the strings in America. The Democrats, this was exactly what's happened to the Democrats hmm. where kind of in the 2020 election, huge amounts of banking money was put into Joe Biden's campaign and very little union money was. So Joe Biden is going to answer to those bankers rather than, and I don't blame him for it, like yeah, you're hamstrung by your bank account. And so if you are English and you are working not in a factory, if you're working in anything, join your union. Mm. And protect the NHS. <laughs> How good's Australia? <laughs> <laughs> First, like, yeah, first union government in the world, Queensland, represent. There you go. Good for them. And we will finish the UK episode by saying how good Queensland is. <laughs> I really like Brendan Cullum. Nah, cut that. <laughs>